as artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is supported by Trustonomy, an original podcast from OneTrust. Every good relationship you have, personal or business, it involves trust. But we all know that trust doesn't just happen, right? We've all lost trust in a friend or a brand or a product. Trustonomy is a new podcast that looks at true stories from the past to understand how trust works and what makes it stronger and how to rebuild it when it's broken. Now, you know, I'm a sucker for a good podcast that weaves historical stories and relates it to what's happening today. So I thoroughly enjoyed this Trustonomy episode and recommend that you check that out as well. Search for Trustonomy in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Many thanks to the OneTrust team for their support. So there's a movement within the design industry, and it's being led by one of our favorite podcast guests. Oh, okay. Is this one of those new trends you might find on Dribble, for instance? <laughs> no, no, no. This is actually important. Oh, okay. Uh, then I'm not really sure. Okay, let's try this. I'm going to show you a picture of two buttons, and I want you to tell me which one will submit my information. Okay, I'm ready. All right, so here's the image. Okay, um, I know all of you can't see the image, but the reality is I can't really read the text on either one of these images, and they're both actually different shades of gray. So which one would you click to advance? Uh, I don't know. Maybe the one that is on my right because it's generally where I would expect the submit button to be. Okay, well, you'd actually be correct, but that was actually really hard, right? Uh, yeah, it kind of felt like it was impossible for me to tell you which one I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> 
So that's what some form fields look like to a colorblind individual. Mm. And, and that paradox of choice I put you through was one of the many problems that Kat Noon is trying to solve with her company, Stark. They just raised $1.5 million, in fact, to make software more accessible. Fascinating. Okay, so this must be the episode that we've been waiting a couple weeks for then. <laughs> yes, exactly right. So today we're going to bring you the story of Kat Noon and Stark and their journey to build better tools for web accessibility. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So Stark's mission is to address accessibility by building tools for designers and eventually development and product teams, and to make sure their work is accessible to the greatest number of people. Verizon Media actually put together a great video of people with various disabilities talking about why accessibility matters to them. Here's a clip. In my hand, I can hold a device that keeps me connected to the world. And the only question is, how do I access it? Everyone else is looking at their smart devices, you know, and I have to listen to it. I need a consistent environment. I don't need something that's cute. I'm not here for cute. I'm here for efficiency. The machine is making things easier for me. If it makes things harder, it goes in the bay. There should be something for someone like me where I could have an insight of what's trending and get to know what goes with my body type, what goes with my skin color. Each of us have our own needs. We're all on a spectrum. And on that spectrum, all we need are the right tools to be able to gain access to, to what we need. All of this technology has been absolutely life-changing for me and for people with hearing loss. Accessibility, to me, is like the air. It has to be there all the time. And while this is a problem Kat is passionate about, this wasn't a problem she actually intended to build a business around. It did start as a, a side project, mainly because it was it wasn't like it wasn't a project that was was I hate to say it was meant to to take off. I was working on something else. Like we were working on something else, and you know it was just like well, it was in the health tech space. Um, you know, target group was older adults. And um, I was like, well, there are these things that we're, we're not accounting for. Um, am I not doing my job right? What is this? This is actually illegal? Compliance what? And compliance is a multifaceted term, as Kat would learn. At that point, I realized, you know, compliance is this umbrella. And then there are different spokes on the, under the umbrella. And that's like, there's accessibility and there's... Uh, security and there's data, you know, you know, privacy, so on and so forth, and and you know, rabbit holes a little bit into that, and and realize like, look, we we need a solution to do our job right. And so they built an MVP mainly for themselves, but Cat shared it on Twitter to get some feedback. At that point, we shared something out on the internet, and people were like, "No, I don't, I don't even, I don't even remember if it had a name." Like, I don't, I don't, I think I may have like screenshotted something or, and, and shared it, or maybe I did give it a name. That would not be abnormal for me. Um, and uh, as to like, like any, any opportunity to like productize something I do and, uh, but still shared it out with like zero intention with some people and, and, uh, and, you know, they went nuts over it. And then it was like, how do we get this? You know, how do I try this? Yada, yada, yada. And we just said, let's, let's release 
this version. So what was it? It was a contrast checker for Sketch, which is a popular design tool among product designers. So is this something that didn't exist? I would have figured that something like contrast, uh, color theory, that's just like a basic step in producing a design. You know, you'd be surprised. Here's Kat. You know, all the solutions were fragmented or inherently inaccessible, which is irony at its finest, uh, I like to say, and, and were expensive for like so corporate. And, you know, at that point you realize like, oh, this is like really dated thinking and, and in turn dated technology. And something they realized in all of this was that compliance checks were happening at various states of the product process, but generally way later than the actual design phase. This is, of course, incredibly disruptive when usability checks come back with fixes at the last minute. Here's Kat. A lot of designers and, and teams in general, this is a non-negotiable. They legally have to abide by these things. And so um, a few things happen. One, the, the, the software, the tools to do this, you know, they either don't sit with the people that are doing this work. They sit with like a, a consultant or, you know, with a, a service that, that does it and, and it, you know, they make you very unaware of what's going on. And so nobody really learns. Um, the other thing is that, uh, you know, of the tools that exist, they're just completely daunting. And so what do we do when something scares the shit out of us? We turn away from it. Um, you know, and so and it, we, we don't ever want to feel shame. Um, and that applies to our work as well. Arguably, one of the, the, the most pivotal places aside from like our, our most intimate relationships. And so, um, you know, realistically, the way we buy products is the way we, we pick partners. It's the same place in the brain. Um, um, so so if, if you have a, a funky way of picking products, you need to you know, start correlating, my friends. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, for us, it was like, you know, there's something to be said here, uh, you know, about this, like people are, you know, at the same time, they were, they were, like, there was this chatter that was starting to happen. Like you, accessibility, this is, this is nothing new, you know, ADA, um, this is, this is not a new topic, but the chatter around it was starting. And so we got in at this like right time unintentionally. So this side project that Kat and her team had put together to really scratch their own itch, it began to snowball. And it got them thinking, maybe there really is something here that's bigger than what we thought. What they did next after a quick break. Before the break, Kat had realized a simple MVP version of Stark, a plugin for the popular design tool Sketch, and it really started to gain traction. It's a, a conversation of whether or not you're going downstream or upstream, right? And so um, we took this bottoms-up approach, and a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, our competitors are up top, and they're like looking over the mountain. They're like, "Well, fuck, fuck we missed everyone." Um, we're just like, "Hey," um, and so. You know, and I think there's something to be said there, right? It's like, you know, we, we can get there much more efficiently and much, um, uh, much quicker if, if we all just like hike up there together. And so designers are the, the start. We started with designers because this work needs to start with designers. We know the, the drastic decrease in, in percentage of compliance errors that uh, happen um, during handoff when this work starts with designers versus starting with engineers just completely ass backwards. Designers were to be clamoring for a simple solution like Stark as the alternatives were seen as these corporate behemoths that the average design team didn't really have access to. We said, you know, what if we, going back to how we pick products, what if we, what if we gave people something to fall in love with? What if we actually gave them this like advocate community 
product, this whole world that they can buy into um, and be a part of and contribute to in order to actually see the, the world's in a much better light. Right. And, and, and that for us, like would eventually become our, our big thing was like, you know, we want to make the world's products more accessible for everyone. And we know we can't do that on our own, but we, we can build the tools and the community and the education and the resources and, you know, be this foundation for you. Um, and, and I think, you know, what would come to be is that we built it, you know, once, once we had like an idea, like, Oh, Oh, you're, you have this problem too, that, you know, okay, like, let's just, let's just build it with the community. Like, let's, let's do this from the jump. So in stark contrast, (laughs) nice one there. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. They built an accessibility tool out in the open with a direct line to the community who played an integral part in both the product direction, but also the advocacy and the visibility of their solution. It was more like building in the open. It's like getting people involved. And that's everyone from like just, you know, designers to engineers to uh, two random individuals on the internet that had some form of a um, a vision disability. We had people helping us with it that could see nothing. Um, and so, so like, how do we how do we like work with them to navigate through the product and to explain the product and and to you know get a better understanding? And so, um, yeah, that's then not that's not to say that like that form of like empathy lab. You know, I don't I don't think that gives you an idea of of or even a fragment of what life with that disability is like, but it did help inform our decisions. It did help educate us on a completely different level. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I think it shed a lot of light at that point when all of this came together. That you know, com- you know, accessibility compliance is still um, fragmented in product development, and that you know, it's not a it's not a single discipline issue it's a entire product development pipeline issue. And so that's where things, you, you started to sit back and you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is a much bigger issue because now you have the designer and the engineer and the product manager and the stakeholder. And it's like, well, what does it look like to actually bridge these disciplines. So this is fascinating. The community in a very real way shaped how they as a startup thought about the problem and realized the magnitude of the scope. So they set out to find a better method for solving this problem, integrating directly into the tools that designers, developers, and product managers use every day. Depending on the space that they're in, depending on the intent of the product. So like in a, in a, a software team in a bank, you know, they're going to operate very differently than like a Dropbox. And so, you know, in, you know, maybe in Adobe, they have, you know, they have a team of dedicated, you know, individuals that focus on accessibility. And so we essentially said, well, look, you know, you can, you can have these dedicated individuals, but it's important that these tools sit with the people that are making decisions on the product on a regular basis. And when that comes together, when, you know, we can build technology till we're blue in the face, but it's pointless. You know, our, our, our customers are very, very smart. So it's important that we educate them. So this is great, but what is the business case for this? More customers through accessibility? Well, it's, it's actually much more than that. The big goal at the end of the day is to remove a lot of that, that fear and uncertainty and doubt around how to, you know, execute on this non-negotiable work. 
and yeah, I, I think the other is that the re result in general of using Steric now and with what's coming is, is that there's a significant reduction in cost. There's a decrease in your time to compliance. Um, you know, you're iterating faster. Um, your education level increases. You decrease financial and legal risk. Because that's the thing, you're not going to, nobody, nobody significant isn't sued, especially here in the States where you can sue anyone for virtually anything. Uh, you know, but I think it's important to to understand that Stark at that point just becomes a better metaphorical insurance policy, right? You know, we're giving you with what we're putting together for you, and I'm being very vague here, but what we're putting together for you gives you that defensibility. And at the same time, like says, you know, we're, sure, we're going to give you defensibility, but at the end of the day, we're, we're also going to help you meet that bottom line. We're going to increase your brand value because you're just doing what's right, right? Accessibility is a byproduct of inclusive design. And so organizations know that that they'll more than likely be sued, but they do not want that that megaphone of social media like exposing them because that's immediate profit and customer loss. So how do we how do we mitigate all of that while still giving you a, you know most importantly a product that can be used by everyone? And then to fix these compliance issues. The reason why it's it, it's become a high legal and financial risk is because organizations have to do things like retrofit their work. You know, if they go if they go back and look at all this legacy code and design, you know, lawsuits become a problem. Like I said, public exposure, profit and customer loss, and overspend on resources, you know, and, and, and overspend on resources with people that have no idea what the fuck to do because the entire product development pipeline is so broken. Okay, I think I get it now. This is a really, really big opportunity for them. So after the break, we'll discuss how Stark moved from an MVP side project into raising 1.5 million to pursue a better solution for compliance and accessibility. So before the break, we were discussing the opportunities Stark saw in the market and how they built a community around them. But it really wasn't even a company yet, right? It was still just a side project with a name. It was something where it was like, okay, well, it's very clear that this took off. And also, you know, we, what we were working on, you know, on, on the, you know, the, the former project, we got to a point where we realized that um, we were not comfortable moving forward. Um, moving forward with it because there are so many unanswered questions, you know, in order to really be a product that could do predictive health, we needed to pull from a massive data set um, or, you know, create an entirely new one. And creating an entirely new one would be the only way that you avoid extreme bias. And so it was like, is this like that plus compliance is really fucking expensive. It's expensive. Um, so, so, <laughs> So instead of uh, instead of paying for compliance, I decided to to build a compliance startup to, uh, you know, because I'm a glutton for punishment. So Kat and some of her team pivoted to work on Stark full time and they came out of the gate with some strong opinions on what a solution should look like and how product teams should work. You know, there are a lot of people that are afraid to say, like, this is how it should be. Um, and I think the fact that we came out strong, we created a brand that people could fall in love with. We gave them a community. Um, we invested in them. We said, look, well, we're going to invest in you. And you know that at that point, one hand washes the other, two hands wash the face. People invest in you when you invest in them. It's fucking common sense. And so we said, let's do that. Let's give them the resources and the, and the education material that they need aside from the technology. 
And then as we, as we figure out what this looks like, you know, we then shift into engineers. And so by the, by the time this goes live in, uh, I'd say few weeks after our, our GitHub integration will exist. So that's coming. And, and then from there, like, what does it look like for product managers? Where do they come into play? Where do stakeholders come into play? So as the community grew and they started to look more into who their customers were, they turned back to the community to learn more about what types of companies and what types of designers actually would be their initial customers and internal advocates. And we did so very much so as a, as a, a playground, I like to say, to actually put us in the room with a lot of these big organizations. Um, and so you, like, when you look at all the different integrations that we're in, Sketch, Figma, Adobe XT, it's very clear the types of individuals and the types of organizations that are on each of these platforms. And so, you know, we wanted, you know, we knew the sectors that, uh, and, and the stages of a company that would need to abide by this. And so there are, there are individual like one-off people um, that are, that just, you know, find this really important to do this work and they should, it's part of your craft, it's part of your job. Then there are individuals that, um, you know, eventually the organization meets a certain size or is in a certain sector um, where it's a non-negotiable. Um, and so be it an agency, be it, um, you know, a, a startup the size of like, you know, Dropbox and, and the space that they're in, you know, they're an enterprise, there are certain things they need to abide by. And that's the thing, like you, when you're working with like an Apple or a Microsoft or whatever, not only are they focusing on these things internally, um, but they require that of their vendors as well, anybody who wants to work with them. And so all of these, these companies from like Dropbox to whoever, if you want it to integrate on an enterprise level, you need to be compliant. And so we said like, what does that look like um, in all of those spaces? But we knew that it can only go so high up in the chain talking to people, you know, without them seeing like, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to be around for a while. And so it was like, well, let's show them that we're actually doing something. Let's, uh, let's give them a reason to swipe that card. And, and, um, and it worked, it, it got us in the room. It got us the conversations that we wanted, um, the connections that we wanted. And at that point we knew, okay, well, uh, speaking to designers and, and engineers and, and product managers, like individuals is great. Individuals on teams. Awesome. Uh, teams in general gives us a very different insight, but all of that to say, um, you know, we knew we were, we were cooking up something when we saw that engineers were starting to use design software solely to use Stark. That's incredible. And what a great validation sign. And so CAD announced last week that they had raised the $1.5 million to pursue their goal. The round was co-led by Daniel Darling and Pascal Unger from Darling Ventures and Indicator Ventures with participation from Jason Warner, the CTO of GitHub, Kleiner Perkins Scout Fund, and Basecamp Ventures. Individual backers include the product lead for accessibility at Atlassian, the director of equitable design and impact at CultureAmp, the director of design at DuckDuckGo, a former VP of software development at Oracle, and many more. You know, we want to spend this this next year now. You know, we have the funding. Uh, we have runway for about two years. Um, we made that very uh, intentional decision. And, and all that to say, we have phenomenal investors on board. But did you know that Cat raised this $1.5 million round in the middle of this global pandemic and economic recession when many VC firms had kind of hit pause and there were no in-person meetings happening? Fundraising during a global pandemic and an economic recession while homeschooling a child. Honestly, you can't hurt my fucking feelings. Like, <laughs> so I just want to put that out there. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, once we, you know, we, we started off uh, with angels and then um, had them 
help us uh, find uh, leads, uh, you know, co-leads, whatever. Um, and and so the, they came on board. So we were originally raising five hundred thousand, and uh, and then like uh, very quickly changed that to one million. Uh, you know, I was having a conversation with one of my one of my <laughs> one of my best friends, and uh, uh, he's also a, a startup founder. And he's like, "You're you're an idiot. You need to you need to raise more." And I'm like, Matthias, like like why? And so we sat down. We had this whole conversation and you know, went through the math of it and, you know, like looked at what was happening in the world. And it was like, yeah, we need to, we need to raise a million. And so quickly, quickly changed that. So without a lead, she hit the Zoom fundraising trail. Not one in-person meeting. Um, I spoke with, I think it was 80 to 100 investors. Most looked at me like I was fucking crazy. There were, there were plenty of, of uh, investors that told me flat out, remote is not a thing. And I was just like, you're about to have some regrets. You know, and I just, at the end of the day, I, you know, the things that you're bullish about, you need to be bullish about them. And you need to be cognizant of, of which those, you know, what truths are you going to hold so strongly? Um, and, and we bank very much so on remote un, until the end of days. Like, obviously there are, there are some roles that just can't be remote. There are some disciplines, there are some, you know, careers that can't be, but for what we're doing, there is no reason why it shouldn't be. You know, we have customers, um, we have community members rather, all over the world. Why wouldn't we build a team that sits in that culture with them um, and figures out like, what is what is disability look like in this country versus that one? What is What is enforcement and regulation and whatever look like there? And you don't know what you don't know. And so, I also don't want to be another one of these these like Silicon Valley startups that that are just so broy and and so white and 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 like you know and and we said how do we how do we avoid that and well you look outside of that area and we did and and it's it's going well so far I think we can do better but I think you can always do better but we have a diverse crew from all over the world and I'm pretty fucking proud of it. Not only that we've managed to do that, but they're really good humans. They're really good humans. They're they're mission driven. And I think they've also had this like general understanding that like you can build a really good business around this space. You know, and I think a lot of people think like, oh yeah, this is this is bullshit that'll be gone in in a few months. And 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 again, it's like one of those things where you'll never be able to see a business for what it is if you don't see people, if you don't see these people. And because it's oh, it's always been this forgotten market, they've been ignored. What an awesome story! I'm really excited to see what's next for Cat and the team. It sounds like we'll need to have her back for an update once they build that product management solution. Yeah, I I think so. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. So. What do we have for next week? Well, next week, we're going to talk about another little tiny startup that got going, a company called Air Bed and Breakfast, or rather, <laughs> Airbnb. So we're going to talk about some Cheerios, right? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> 
Thanks so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM now has a premium ad-free feed. All you have to do is go to glow.fm forward slash Rocketship and subscribe. It helps support the show and it gives you an ad-free experience. You actually get an exclusive feed that you can listen to on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, and Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective, which is a community for software product people. Product Collective is also the home of industry, the product conference, industry virtual workshops, and one of the largest Slack groups for product people anywhere. And we're also on the Podglomerate Network, so a huge thanks to Podglomerate. You can listen to all the Podglomerate shows at thepodglomerate.com. We'll see you here next week on rocketship.fm.